general nerdery. Oh shit, we're going. Uh, <laughs> intro. Welcome to General Nerdery. I'm super on top of this. I was like, why did we go silent there? Oh my god, we're recording. <laughs> Welcome to General Nerdery, a podcast about liking things where we're super organized and aware of what's happening. I'm dude, Zach. Our dude, our battle computers were just, you know, buffering. <laughs> I'm Tyler. Uh, this is interesting because this is the first time that we've been recording in the same room in like almost 15 episodes. I was looking it up the other day. Holy shit. Like half of the length of the time that we've been doing this podcast has now been in quarantine. And I don't know if we're going to stick just, oh, we're back to doing this in person together as much as it's so much nicer to record this way. But since we both work at the same store and see each other a couple times a week already, we're like, fuck it, if we're going to get sick, we're going to get... We're probably going to yeah, already get it, sick from each other. It, and it's not going to be from each other as much as the fucking world. Yeah. The, <laughs> the mass amounts of people that we have to interact with, because we're essential. Welcome to this really happy intro to General Nerdy. <laughs> uh, on hey, it is happy. We're hey, back together. We're wearing is, the hats. It's nice. I haven't had the hat in a long time. Uh, I forgot how poorly it fits my head. Yeah, no, it's uh, terrible. <laughs> I, I, I was... I was gonna like try to fit mine at least in quarantine. Yeah, that didn't happen. No, and we we're still gonna super talk over each other. But at least now we can see when the other person is talking. Like, That's true. You, it, I don't know if it shows through as much after the editing, but I definitely feel it anytime we're recording. And I'm like, I think I cut a good bit of that. Um, in brighter news, what have you been ingesting this week? Uh, well, this week will be the last two days because we recorded on Saturday. We don't keep a great schedule, guys. So with that in mind, I did get in two things other than podcast homework. Mm -hmm. uh, one of it, one of them is a little bit surprising that I hadn't got it to it, hadn't got to it sooner. I finally watched uh, the stand-up special that Kevin Smith did right before he almost died. Oh, like the one that he had a heart attack during his tour of? Or? Like the one that he had, a, he was supposed to do two sets that night that were both going to be recorded, and then they were going to get edited into the single uh, Silent But Dead, well, what ended up being called Silent But Deadly. Okay. He got one of them done, went back to the green room, laid down on the couch. Had a heart attack. Had a heart attack and almost died. If you haven't, watch his video where he talks about that. It's kind of horrifying. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I finally watched that special. Now, is it like actual stand-up comedy, or is it more one of his like Q&A things? It's, it's more along the lines of stand-up. Okay. In the sense that these stories aren't being brought about by questions. Okay. because That being said, it's not like normal stand-up. It's more like him telling stories in response to Q&As. I was going to say, I've listened to his An Evening with Kevin Smith and An Evening with Kevin Smith 2, Evening, Evening Harder, Carter. which is my favorite title for something. I have basically stolen that anytime I'm doing a second event show, whatever. It's always whatever harder. Yeah. Uh, and I know he's ripping off Die Hard, but I care about Kevin Smith more than I care about Bruce Willis. Um, half, half, whole, swivel, hide behind a rock. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
and I actually really enjoy them, and they're not quite stand-up, and they're not quite a normal Q&A. It's mostly just, you know, rip the cord and let Kevin Smith talk for two hours. Yeah, which you don't have to rip that cord very hard. <laughs> his, his interview with Stephen Colbert, he's like, the last time I was on, I asked one question, and you talked for the rest of the ten minutes. <laughs> That's about right. Uh, no, but it was finally nice to watch it. I had heard almost all of it. because it Yeah, like, no, no, I I had heard almost all of it because... Uh, uh, earlier in that year, I had gotten to see him live in Spokane, and he was doing almost the same exact set. So nice. Okay. Um, it was cool just getting to see it finally, though, because kind of knowing its history and me being a fanboy and everything. And I'm really glad that he didn't die after it because he ended his set with some very like, like powerful, encouraging words. That if those would have been his last words on like video, they would have been like really good last words, but they would have like sucked. To have like to I would like, like I would still be crying. <laughs> Oh, uh, so yeah, happy he didn't die. And then the other thing I was just showing you right before we started, uh, one of Kev's co-hosts that I've brought up a couple times on here, uh, on his fat man beyond podcast, Mark Bernardin, uh, recently set up or not recently back when COVID started, uh, he set up something called the plague nerdologues that you could donate to. And that was going towards like some of the COVID relief and stuff. And it was genre stars coming in and doing monologues from, other genre properties. Mm -hmm. uh, recently, with everything going on, it has um, switched focus. Uh, it is now a donation to Black Lives Matter. Uh, and he got in a second round of celebrities to do monologues from other properties. And I went through about three quarters of them this morning, and it made my day stupid happy. Some of the things to point out, I wanted, because like, I want to. If you guys are fucking nerds and you love like these little stupid little moments, like you can donate however much you want and get access to them. So you don't have to sit there and, you know, be like, I don't want to be on the hook for $20 just to, you know, hear Jonathan Frakes be fucking Will Shatner. Yeah. <laughs> Will Shatner. Um, no, donate what you can. We all understand it's a hard time, but then you get some really cool videos to watch. I'm going to donate five bucks after this. And uh, yeah. Some of the examples I just want to point out, you have uh, Will Forte doing Liam Neeson's Taken speech. He's the magician from Arrested Development, right? Like, making sure I have Will Forte's... No, I'm thinking of someone else. I'm thinking of... Yeah, um, he's like... Uh, Will Forte is like last man on earth. Yes. Okay. The guy who's in like 40 different roles in 30 rock. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, also very good. Yeah. Not what I was thinking, but very good. I was thinking of Will Arnett. Lin-Manuel Miranda what? doing uh, some of Admiral, one of Admiral Dama's speeches from Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> oh my God. Yes. Uh, Kevin Smith doing Anton Ego's speech from the end of Ratatouille. Grant Gustin, The Flash, doing Steve Rogers' speech to Tony Stark from uh, Captain America Civil War. And this one is just so fucking amazing. Phil Lamar, as Samurai Jack, as Inigo Montoya. <laughs> oh my god, that's so good. I love Phil Lamar, I love Samurai Jack, I love Inigo Montoya. Um, the and one that's just, that's a handful. There's other things. Trisha Helfer, uh, Ahmad Best. The one you showed me was Ahmed Best doing Captain Picard's speech from The Drumhead, which is arguably his greatest speech and arguably the greatest episode of Next Gen ever made. And trust me, I have watched all of them enough times to have opinions on this. It was not as good as Patrick Stewart's speech, but that's, 
that's an unfair comparison. Right. Like, that's... <laughs> oh, can you stand up to Sir Patrick Stewart? No? Well, then you're like every other person on this planet. Exactly. <laughs> he did a great job. He did a... Good yeah. job, Ahmed Best. I don't want to, like, understate that. <laughs> and then one other one I want... I, I, I tried only write down five, but one I want to point out just because... Uh, of how above and beyond he went with making his little video portion. But Aaron Douglas, who is Chief Tyrrell on Battlestar Galactica, does one as the narrator from uh, The Road Warrior. And it is incredible. <laughs> Most of these are just like the actor sitting at, you know, in mm -hmm. front of their fucking phone or something, just recording Turn these. on the webcam and emote! Yeah. A couple of them actually have some production value. His is one. Ends up being a very Road Warrior-esque scene reenacted with Battlestar toys. So, <laughs> You know, <laughs> if I was ever on a show that had toys made about it, I would own all of them. Not gonna lie. Oh, I definitely, whenever these videos would pop up, I was like, oh, look, in the background, you can see Grant Gustin's toy of himself on his shelf. <laughs> I would. <laughs> oh, look, in the background of Jesse Rath's video, there's a toy of Grant Gustin. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. That That's what I've been ingesting, though. Uh, okay. I got three. The first one's real fucking fast. We just started watching it last night because I needed... I wanted to put on something pretty while I read comics I was having conflicting emotions about. And I put on Planet Earth 2, mm. narrated by Sir David Attenborough. I think sir. I don't... I'm not sure. Pretty sure he's Probably, sir. If he's not a sir, I'm going to give him that. Like, he can just own that now. Yeah. He's David Attenborough. Which is... I mean, it's just animal documentary, but I say just in the same way that, like, Star Wars is just a science fiction film. Like, it is mm -hmm. it is the gold fucking standard. Holy shit, it's so good. Um, I was not entirely sober with one of my friends once, and we were watching the first one, and they were showing weird fucking birds do weird fucking things, and she was just yelling at David Attenborough going, that's not real! It's You're right. making this up! I saw you post about this earlier on social media, so I know exactly who you're talking about, and this is really funny oh to me God, right now. Oh, so good. <laughs> and then, but the, the, the two things that I'll actually bring up that are really good is they're both on Audible, and I think they're both free right now. I kind of have, am becoming just an advertisement for Audible because I use it so much. It's okay. If you so, do that enough, then maybe they will advertise oh with God, us. I would love that. The first one is one of their free ones for the month of June, so when this comes out, you might still be able to get it if you rush. It is a Great Courses Plus, which is another people that could advertise for us. Hint, Ooh. hint. Uh, the History of Bourbon. Oh. Which, I mean, it was like three hours long, and uh, part of the reason I enjoyed it is it is so out of character for what I usually read, listen, ingest, but also something... The group I'm in in Belagarth is famous for drinking whiskey, but I don't really heavily, so it's still like, it kind of fit to me and it kind of didn't at the same time. Um, it was interesting. I it bet. Was, it was not the greatest thing I've ever listened to, but I definitely, I learned a lot, and I love listening to people be passionate about things that I don't know. Mm -hmm. Or that I have, like, tangential relationship. Right. I like booze. Okay, tell me the history. <laughs> and I mean, it started with, like, the history of brewing to the creation of beer to the creation of whatever the hell came before whiskey to whiskey to bourbon specifically. Right. Mm, bourbon. 
And then the other one was a free one called Nut Job that was a documentary about apparently people were stealing just semi-truck loads of nuts in okay. Southern California. But when we're talking about like a semi-truck load, it, it sounds like nothing, but we're talking about $500,000 per truck oh, yeah. worth of almonds. And I, I sell nuts in bulk. I know how much these things cost. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's a lot of when nuts. When you get a whole semi-trailer that's load. That's a lot of nuts. That's so much. And it starts with like, ha ha, this is kind of funny. And then it goes into like, let's have conversations about how broken the fucking trucking industry is. Because the big companies are doing everything they can to have no responsibility on them. Mm. And, you know, making, squeezing maximum profit out of it. And these truck drivers, a lot of times they might know they're doing something illegal, but they're, uh, they're running on such a red line that who right. fucking knows? Like, don't ask, don't tell. That phrase has a little more independence <laughs> than I meant to have in it. Don't ask questions, I'll tell you no lies. Uh, and then, like conversations about food safety and it turned i was like this is going to be a funny little documentary about nut thieves and then it turned really kind of dark in a couple of points but still super fucking good yeah and again free yeah, that's the bonus right there. so i really recommend it see i've i had heard of syrup heists up in canada but never nut heists down in well, it's Cali. down in Southern California, and apparently there were so many things of, basically, you'll get this, like, one phone number to call to pick up the truck load. Go call them. They'll tell you where to drop it off. You go drop it off, and then go about your daily business. Okay. And these people would create fake, I'm this person, get a burner phone... They, you know, the truck driver mm -hmm. would come pick up the thing. They'd call up and be like, oh, hey, there's been a change of plans. You need to drop it off here, but I'll give you a thousand dollar bonus because it's, you know, out of your way. Yeah. And it's in cash. And they're like, well, yeah, I could use a thousand dollars in cash. I'm a truck driver. Like I'm overworked and underpaid. Mm -hmm. And they drop it off and drive off. And then it's not until like a week later when they're like, where the hell is this? Where's our nuts? Yeah. Where's this semi truck load of nuts? And they call up the truck driver, and he's like, I dropped that off. What are you talking about? You know, we occasionally get our loads of nuts in rather late, and now every time one of them's late, this is all I'm going to be wondering <laughs> if, it, if that's what's happening. Well, and then the really weird stuff, like the paramilitary people who are like, like private detectives, mm -hmm. but they're all former cops just armed to the fucking teeth who are prowling these nut farms and fruit farms and we're talking industrial farming we're not talking the people down the street and right. i live in montana so i'm not lying when i say the people down the street we're talking like big big and big bringing nut in, operations bringing in what has to be undocumented workers on top of just even the documented workers yeah. are underpaid and overworked and so they'll do whatever job they need cuz you know they have a paycheck coming up and are getting screwed around with by these this basically private paramilitary force who are like, oh no, like, you're getting paid enough to survive. No, they're not. Hi, welcome to politics and nerd stuff, even about <laughs> not nerd stuff. Um, no, I was suddenly I'm getting real. I'm like, I might have to listen to this. I need to know how all of these nut jobs are going it on. It is amazing. And I went from like, 
I am super going to start eating nuts more often because there is real benefits like, yeah. to nut stuff to I am never going to eat nuts again. <laughs> and back and forth, there's like six chapters. And I think every chapter I swapped one way or the other. Like That's insane. I might have to check that out. It's If you have Audible, it's on the free monthly stuff. Okay. It's super good. <laughs> it's super good. Nice. And if you don't have Audible... I'm real back and forth on it. They are my... I love them, but I'm aware they are a not super... There's questions on the ethics of Audible. Mm. They're kind of anti-library, which I am extremely Mm pro-library. And they're owned by Amazon. So as much as I love them, you get to make your own decisions here. Yeah. Um, Welcome to a modern American consumerism... The other choice is good old pirating. Anyway. <laughs> but also, Audible, you should pay us to do stuff. <laughs> so, Audible, pay us. <laughs> They're never. Audible will never pay us. <laughs> you know who else isn't going to pay us? The news. The news. Oh, Jesus. The news is not going to pay us. Um, I actually ended up writing down a lot more news than I thought I would, but I think a lot of this I can get through kind of quickly. There's a some lot of, of weird news stupid. this week. Yeah, some of it's stupid easy to get through, though, thankfully. So <laughs> you're crossing your fingers. Here. We'll see. <laughs> AMC and Regal are going to be reopening. They weren't going to require masks. People got pissed. Now they're requiring masks. Did not hear the second part. That's good. I wasn't sure if AMC was going to reopen at all. They were really uncertain about it. They've been not doing well for a number of years now. Um, some of their uh, re not really rebranding, but refocusing of the way they're running their theaters is a uh, them trying to change that around, as we can see with our own local theater, is rather nice. But you, not like old school. You uh, know, I'm back and forth on it. We've talked about it a lot. Uh, theaters is one of those industries that really needs to change. And they don't seem to want to change in the direction that they actually should be going. I think... I but mean, I also don't know enough to like really tell them where they should be going. From once again, I'm not an expert in the industry. Of course. You're closer from, than I am. <laughs> from what I know is it feels like the theaters themselves, their hands are tied a little bit by the fact that they're at the whims of the MPAA. Mm. And the Motion Picture Association of America that does like the rating of the movies and uh, has a lot to do with like basically what movies can go to theaters in the first place. They also take their share of different profits yeah that the theaters take in and i should say if i'm ever if i'm ever knocking on a chain i am usually not knocking on the individual theater in the chain because i recognize Mm -hmm. that they're stuck in a situation beyond their control as much as the parent company and i mean that's the thing i think in this case even amc is kind of like they're the big kind of mean corporation but i think even they're kind of working with what they're getting from the mpaa the system's broken yeah that's that's yeah the biggest thing is the system's broken in some way and it needs to be fixed and that's going to help everybody down the line but as a fan of comic books the system is broken in most of our things um but they are since the reopening they are going to require people to wear masks it seems more and more that masks seem to be almost the most important thing they're the thing that 
does the most to limit the spread. Mm-hmm. No, a mask is not going to make it so you can't get coronavirus. It is going to make it significantly less likely that you infect someone or that someone infects you. Absolutely. Cool. That's down. Done. They're requiring masks. Moving on. I wasn't actually worried about it too much here anyway, because it's rare that I go to a fucking movie here and there's more than 10 people in the theater. No, but... it's 15 bucks. I'm not paying that. Ewan McGregor has revealed that he will be voicing Jiminy Cricket in Guillermo del Toro's stop motion Pinocchio for Netflix. I'm sorry. There's a what happening? (laughs) Uh, Guillermo del Toro is doing a stop motion Pinocchio for Netflix and Ewan McGregor is going to be Jiminy Cricket. I love everything about that sentence. Um, (laughs) I don't think the Disney Pinocchio is a very good movie. And I realize this isn't like Disney live action Mm -hmm. remake, yada, yada, yada. But I don't think Pinocchio itself is a terrible story, so let's give it a shot. And even the Disney Pinocchio, it's mostly because it was one of the earliest full-length movie uh, cartoons, and they hadn't quite figured out how to pace those yet. Yeah. No, I like it's fine. And this... especially for the time period, it's probably oh, yeah. genius. And but... it has some really good moments in it. Uh, as for this... I really hope this isn't something that Guillermo del Toro gets bored and wanders off on, because that sounds crazy. Now, as far as I know, they're already, like, partway through production. Like, it's happening. Oh, good. Once you get him into active production, it's pre-production, where if it takes longer than, like, 20 minutes, he goes, ooh, look at the shiny. Yeah. As far as I know, this is in actual production. It seems like it's going to be happening. Maybe even sooner than later. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw this, like, beginning of next year. That'd be cool. They announced a new Pokemon Snap. I figured it was inevitable. Um, In fact, I think pre-orders went live like a couple hours ago from when we're recording. Depending on how much they want for it, I will probably pick it up. I, yeah, I might buy a Switch just to play a new Pokemon Snap. Wow, that is dedication. I I will hook you up with a bunch of other Switch games to make it worth your time because I, I love the Switch. I love the Switch. I'm going to have to see more. But I also put an insane amount of hours back into Pokemon Snap back in the day, and I wasn't even the best at that game. (laughs) Sword and Shield and Breath of the Wild alone make it worth it, and Untitled Goose Game is also on there, and that alone makes it worth it, and that game was like 10 bucks. Right. We'll see what happens. I do have to see a little bit more, but (laughs) I am currently considering buying a Switch just for Pokemon this, Snap. This was the, the tipping point for you? Yeah, I mean, there's already other titles. That, like, I've wanted to play Breath of the Wild, of oh, course. So but good, but there needs to be... There has to be more than just the one thing if I'm going to buy a whole you. new I, system. I get you. It's why I don't own a PlayStation, even though Marvel Spider-Man is amazing. Yeah. Uh, PAX West is going online. I think I heard about that. That's Penny Arcade Expo? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Uh, not a big surprise since even uh, San Diego Comic Con's going online. Well, and they're ones that's kind of built to go online. They do so much streaming shit, anyways. That like I'm sure it's a lot of work. I don't want to understate that, but like they already know how to do most of this shit. It's just a matter of setting it up. The biggest question right now is they have promised that there will still be hands-on demos, and nobody's sure how they're going to make that work with the online setup yet. Interesting. But that's pretty much it so far. Cool. Along those same lines, though, DC is going to do a 24-hour online fan expo in August called DC Fandome. It's currently unclear, but that might be taking their place, taking the place of them 
doing anything uh, on the online San Diego Comic-Con. I need to look deeper into that. I was actually considering trying to submit some art pieces to it because they've got a bunch of just yeah. art stuff. And I do kind of cool leather. I'm going to talk myself up a bit. I do kind of cool leather armor. And I saw a Batman one recently, a bat medieval Batman fan art. And I was like, mm. I could make that. Yeah, sure. <laughs> this might be my excuse. That'd be dope. Well, do it. Yeah. We'll see if I have time. And with <laughs> SDCC going digital anyway this year, I don't know how much it means that DC might not be a part of it, but it still seems... It seems like a bad call. I don't know what's going on with DC lately. They are... Really going out on their own. Yes. And again, the industry's kind of broken and things need to change, but... I think you can change without burning every bridge behind you. But also, I'm glad they left Diamond. Yeah. I, I really actually want to ask my local comic shop owner what he thinks of it, but I know he's not a big fan of Diamond, so... Um... <laughs> Here's another one we can get through pretty quick, I think. Cyberpunk 2077 has been delayed again. It was originally supposed to come out in April, which then got delayed till September. And just this week, it got delayed again till November. I saw a lot of angry headlines about it. There have been, there's a lot of people that have been like already putting in their time requests off for when this game comes out. That I assume it's a coronavirus related thing that's holding them back or who knows? It seems okay. to be just development. CD Projekt Red seems to really be taking their time on this and it's starting to really piss people off. Not that like it's like a lot of people realize that they want to put out a good game, but they keep saying like, oh, no, for sure it's going to be this time. And then they're like, oh, sorry, we screwed that up. <sighs> it's actually going to be now. <laughs> this is why... And I fall for it. I mean, we do a fucking podcast about the news, but I am kind of against them announcing like this thing will be out on this day, like three years in advance mm -hmm. because shit changes when you're making things. And I get like, you know, a monthly comic book. You don't want it to be six months later or whatever. That's one thing. But like this movie that we haven't started pre-production or we're in early pre-production and yet don't tell me what exact date it's coming out or video game in this case because stuff happens uh breath of the wild they went it'll be out when it's ready yeah and people went when we'll be ready and they go when it's ready <laughs> and then when they announced it they were like almost done mm -hmm. and so it was they were a lot they had much better control uh, I think this is another one of the things that screws over that uh, it's already been screwed up thanks to the other things being delayed that screws over that uh, week of like all Keanu releases. Mm hmm. But I was thinking about that. I was super sad. I'm not even a big Keanu fan, but the idea of like there was two or three movies all coming out at the same time that were all Keanu starred. That was just something about that was kind of perfect. All right. So here's a weird one. I thought we were done with this when we, were, when we talked about the last update to this situation oh, is New a Mutants month ago. Put back again? Hmm? Is New Mutants put back again? No. Oh, thank God. Okay. I mean, probably, but you know. The Guinness World Records uh, Institution or Association or whatever they're fucking called has reinstated Billy Mitchell's records. Oh, fuck you, Billy Mitchell. Twin Galaxies has not. Good job, Twin Galaxies, who's also kind of weird, but okay. Uh, for those who don't remember from our Digimon episode, Billy Mitchell is an old school arcade gamer champion, and I think he runs a hot sauce company or something. Yes. 
uh, and kind of an asshole. You can watch King of Kong Fistful of Quarters if you want a really probably slanted but really interesting documentary about that whole world. He probably cheated. So this situation seems really weird right now. Basically, Guinness is saying that they, since they had or they were able to interview and confirm like premier eyewitnesses seeing Billy do this, they're reinstating his records. Twin Galaxies is saying, we never said people didn't see him do this. He was doing it on an emulated machine. That's Which against is super the rules. against the rules, yeah. Um, I will say, if you ever get the chance, watch the last week tonight episode about the Guinness World Records people. They're fucking weird, and they like to suck up to dictators in really strange ways. And there's some dictators that really like to break Guinness World Records <laughs> of really... Like, they've got video of... I want to say it was Edgergan, like the Turkish guy, but I, I, oh, yeah. I'm not 100% sure, so don't quote me on that part on this thing that we're recording, where he, like, had the world's largest sheet cake made or something like that. Interesting. And then last week tonight, just to piss him off, tried to top that record, but Guinness wouldn't do it because last week tonight talked too much shit. <laughs> so they just did it anyways, and they're like, it's not Guinness beat, but still. <laughs> like, Yeah, it seems like, well... Part of the King of Kong documentary was Guinness being like, we're going to let Twin Galaxies be the one to run uh, old school video game records because mm -hmm. we trust the way that they track these records and this and that. And like basically in the course of that documentary, like they get the OK saying like, you guys know your shit. We're going to trust you. Guinness is really money obsessed. So I feel like the threatened litigation and for something that they really don't care about was not worth the time, while Twin Galaxies, this is their thing. Here's like, the best thing. So Walter Day no longer runs Twin Galaxies, the guy from the, yeah. the documentary. Uh, a new younger guy named Jace Hall is now the CEO of Twin Galaxies. His response to when when the different news organizations reached out to him to his response to, to Guinness reinstating the Billy Mitchell records was he just sent them back the fucking Kermit drinking tea meme. <laughs> I hate that meme, but that's kind of great. Um, okay. That's my favorite thing in this story. Oh, my God. Um, either, way, so either way, what it comes down to is them reinstating his records mostly just affects the timeline. Because mm -hmm. even with his record reinstated, he doesn't have the record currently. Somebody else has beaten it. Yeah. The guy that he's really pissy about. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's not Weeby right now. It's somebody else. Oh, but, okay. Uh, Weeby has, just two weeks ago, uh, announced his return to competitive Donkey Kong. So Cool. We'll see what happens. What a strange world we live in. I love it. <laughs> I love it. I legitimately thought that story was going to be done when they took out his records. But now they're like, oh. He's I like, I'm going to sue you. And everyone, I thought that, that was the part of people being like, whatever, dude. But nope. We get more King of Kong, the continuing yeah. adventures. Exactly. <laughs> it's going to be the next Tiger King. Just the continued <sighs> adventures of King of Kong. Let's bring in some meth. Okay. Uh, we're getting an Animorphs movie, or at least they're going to try to produce one. Like they've already announced it? or early Like Scholastic Productions is teaming up with a film studio to make a movie. And so far, the two other times that they've done that, they've been successful in making the movie with Goosebumps and something else. 
this fits Animorphs has somehow found its way back into the zeitgeist Good. out of fucking Animorphs. nowhere. Um, Good. I love Animorphs. Cool. Bring it on. My very first email address was eats andalites for dinner at yahoo.com. I do love the andalites. The andalite chronicles was like my fa- one of my favorite books as a kid. I know Tiffany, who was on our Digimon episode, was telling us that all of those were free online. And I kind of wonder, I, I didn't know if that was on purpose or not, but I kind of wonder if that was Scholastic being like, hey, you all grew up doing this. You all are sentimentalists. <laughs> let's uh, let's get you thinking about it again, because Money Pit. Yeah. I mean, Animorphs was so big in like 1990. Seven. So big. So good. And just flip books. <laughs> flip oh, quarters. Even, even when I was a kid, you could, like, be done in... I like how you're miming flip books on an audio-based communication system. I know. I, not uh, only am I miming it, but, like, in my head, I'm currently, like... Yeah, you're into it. Uh, I'm thinking about... Uh, Tobias turning into a fucking red-tailed hawk. Oh, some of those were creepy. Um, but even as a kid... They weren't difficult books, but they brought up difficult subjects, which I think is good. Like, I like challenging books, but I also like easy books that get you thinking about things. Uh, and the the report I read is basically that's the one thing people don't know if, like... Like, the Goosebumps movie wasn't very horror Like, those Goosebumps books actually get a little creepy. Yeah, they were fucked up. I mean, they're probably not actually scary. I haven't read one since I was, like, eight, and I didn't like them then. But they're built on really well done horror premises. Carl Stein had the right idea and then just put it to a kid. And I wonder how many modern horror fans owe that entirely to Goosebumps. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's one of my starts. Mm-hmm. Uh, so everyone's kind of like, well, are they going to do that to Animorphs, too, where they don't really touch on all the dark shit that that series gets to? But I hope they do. That'd be cool. Look, just make Visor 3 creepy as shit, and I'm in. <laughs> All right, so this week, we had to say goodbye to Ian Holm. Yep. Just a couple hours ago, we received word also that Joel Schumacher has passed. That one hits me a little harder than Ian Holm, but neither one of these like breaks me in the way that Denny O'Neill did or Stan Lee did. I'll never get over that one. And I don't mean any disrespect to those actors or directors or people. More importantly, people. But, I mean, those ones just had a stronger connection for me. Mm-hmm. Holm was a great actor. Schumacher was not a great director, but he did bring me into comics, which is the field that I love so much. That's, I mean, Schumacher, that's the thing, is actually kind of a great director, just not when he's doing superhero shit. Okay, that's fair. I've only actually seen his superhero shit. I kind of wish he had been able to make Batman batman something he had a one planned after batman and robin mm. i don't remember what it was called where he wanted in his words he wanted to redeem himself after batman and robin like oh, he's like yeah. i know this movie was crap <laughs> sorry i know it's your favorite batman movie but he's like i know this movie was bad let me prove i can do it right and they just <clears throat> didn't let him because those movies were expensive and the last one made him no money whatsoever well i think it would have been just like Two years, three years, maybe longer than that. I can't remember the what years these movies came out. Before he did Batman Forever, he did Falling Up with Michael Douglas, which is an incredible movie. I don't know that one, but I do know Michael Douglas. I know he's got skills. 
Um, and he, of course, uh, did the fucking 80s horror vampire classic, The Lost Boys, as yeah, well. Yeah, that one is... I mean, I said I don't like horror, and even that one, I, even I recognize that one is, oh shit. Yeah, and I mean, fucking sax man. Anyway. <laughs> uh, is that no, the that's... one that ends with like, you know what I hate about this town? All the fucking vampires. Yep. <laughs> that one sucks. I the, the Schumacher one weirdly hit me a lot harder today than I thought it would, too. It happens, uh, and especially happens in times of high stress, which is just... The normal now. To go along with that today, though, there are reports that Michael Keaton is in talks to play Bruce Wayne in the Flash movie. That is still way up in the air, in my opinion, especially because Ezra Miller got himself in some trouble lately. But Yeah, Ezra Miller had a crazy moment. Mm-hmm. You know, that I'm not the biggest Michael Keaton Batman fan. I liked the first one. I don't like Returns very much. But this is the most interesting thing about Ezra Miller doing a Flashpoint movie that I could possibly think of. So the current room, well, that goes along with more talks that apparently Jeffrey Dean Morgan has definitely been in talks to play basically Flashpoint Batman, which he did the voice for in Flashpoint Paradox. And, you know, if anyone could do weird, dark Thomas Wayne Batman... Jeffrey Dean Morgan would be my choice and everyone's choice, I think. So, great. Awesome. So, I think the current thinking is that Flashpoint, we get Batfleck pre-Flashpoint, Flashpoint's Jeffrey Dean Morgan, post-Flashpoint we get... Robert Pattinson? Well, Robert Pattinson possibly as a young Bats, unless they're spinning that off to do their own thing with it and not connect it to the other stuff. With doing Justice League, they should really... Connect it somehow. They they so wanted a cinematic universe, and yeah, they bungled it. But the the potential was still there. Um, but I think the current thinking is that post Flashpoint, the timeline would change so that you would have uh, older Keaton as Bruce from basically Batman Beyond. I've heard a lot of arguments for that, and I love Batman Beyond so. I am of two minds. On one hand, yes, more Batman Beyond. On the other, it's one of the few properties that anytime they change something about it or, like, try to do a different version of it, I, like, freeze up and I'm like, no! No, it was perfect! And I shouldn't do that because in so many other places, I'm like, yeah, we can have, like, 16 versions of Peter <laughs> Parker, whatever. Like, mm-hmm. I, I'm not a big fan of Michael Keaton as Batman or Bruce Wayne. Like, it's nostalgia mostly at this point, and I think if you're going to do any previous Batman in that role, it should be George Clooney. Okay, now you're just being weird and mean, but uh, <laughs> even George think, Clooney doesn't think that, man. I, I, dude, when I think of, like, Batman Beyond Bruce Wayne, I think of him first kicking back in the chair, and then something, something happening, and him having to lean forward and lean forward on his cane and say something. All right, I'm going to one-up you, and I'm going to go with Val Kilmer. I'll take Val Kilmer over Michael Keaton. I'll uh, take Kilmer or Clooney over Keaton doing that and talking to a young Batman. I am with you. I am not the biggest fan of Keaton's Batman. I am a fan of Michael Keaton. I like Keaton well enough. And I think he could play an old grumpy mentor better than he could play, you know, Batman as the hero. You want to get nuts? <laughs> Let's get nuts. 
Tim Burton has a lot to answer for with those movies. Um, <laughs> I'm going to get some hate for that. It's okay. I'm going to get hate for that, too, because I... That is, like, sacrosanct. Like, as I said, I'm not even a big fan of that. And you said, I don't really like Keaton. And part of my brain was just like... <gasps> I... Since... I don't know. My 20s, basically. Going back and rewatching those movies. I don't like him as Bruce. I don't like him as Batman. It was weird. Parts of it were good, but it was weird. And it's not... It's not a good representation of either character, in my no, opinion. that's fair. <laughs> Plus, he definitely straight up murders some people in Returns. Oh, yeah. He's sure to murder people in both Bat of them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Batman murders people a lot. Let's be honest here. He's not like Punisher bad, but it's kind of like when you watch Avatar The Last Airbender and you play the how many people died drinking game. Okay, so the amazing part is how many people he murders for also being the worst fighter on screen. Yeah, I'll give you that. <laughs> anyway, that could be its own episode. I am out of that news. We have one last thing. Because this sort of leads into the episode as a whole in a really shitty way that we weren't planning on. Oh, right. So, this one's been given to me. Uh, Warren Ellis, who I am going to get this out here, is my all-time favorite author. Comic books, books, whatever. Warren Ellis is my favorite author. Is accused of being a creep. And that is kind of... One headline accused him of grooming women... And I don't know if that is accurate, but I also don't know the language well enough to know if I'm wrong on this. Um, I am, as I said, he's my favorite author. I am still processing all of this. And I'm just getting that out there before we do this, before we do this episode, because this episode's a Midnighter and Warren Ellis created Midnighter. So there's no way we can't talk about this. Well, and as when we were talking about about it off air this week it was kind of a question even how much how much to talk about it i guess in a way and it's like well we can't it would be unethical to not talk about it is kind of where we ended up and i uh and, I've and also that we couldn't just avoid alice because he created the character and and we can't just avoid alice in general either because of the mark he's had on yeah um comics <sighs> I can't see a future in which we don't talk about Transmetro on this show. Transmetropolitan, Planetary. I mean, of my top five favorite comic books, at least two of them are written by Warren Ellis. One of my favorite books I've ever read is Crooked Little Vein, which is written by Warren Ellis. I, the day I was, I read this news... I had been planning the next day to catch up on one of his books, The uh, the Wild Storm, which he had mm. been writing for Jim Lee, which is probably my favorite book DC's put out in the last, like, five years. So as I said, I, I am... This is so personal for me. And actually, we have decided... We've been talking since, like, episode one of how to deal with your fave is problematic as an episode, and we're doing that in two weeks. We we just can't avoid it anymore. Not with J.K. Rowling, not with Warren Ellis. Um, before I dive into the Ellis one, because I'm going to go a little deeper than we usually would, several people have been outed for being various level of creep or pervert in the comic world in the last week or two. Uh, Cameron Stewart, who wrote The Batgirl of Burnside, which was a really great Batman run, Batgirl run, sorry, was 
outed for being a creep, and he might have been grooming underage people. Mm. Like, starting the flirting at, like, 16, 17. Warren Ellis used to run the Warren Ellis Forums, the WEF. It was from, like, 1995 to somewhere in the early 2000s, a ridiculously important part of the nerd world. Especially because so much of getting into comics is knowing a guy, knowing a person. And I mean, everyone, not everyone, but many, many people were on the Warren Ellis forums. Uh, Matt Fraction, Greg Rucka, Matt Fraction's wife, Kelly Sue DeConnick, who was the person that was, who's the reason that we have Carol Danvers as Captain Marvel. Ideas were made, comics were made, people got married on, I mean, Fraction and DeConnick, who are now married, met on the Warren Ellis forums. It was huge. And Warren Ellis was God on those forums, ranging between Uncle, Dirty Uncle Warren and Stalin was his other nickname. Mm. Uh, if you want to read about this, Dr. Nerd Love, who is another guy whose career started on the Warren Ellis forums and now I think he does YouTube stuff. I've only ever watched like one or two of his things. Uh, yeah, um, I feel like. Kotaku might also run a column from Nerd Love. I'm not 100% sure. He's done some really good stuff. He's done some stuff I don't super care for, but that's fine. That's whatever. He did a really great article about the importance and the misogyny of the Warren Ellis forums. And the thing was, Warren Ellis has always been a big fan of alt, alternate, like porn, alternate cam girls, uh, pinups, just models. Mm -hmm. Not always, you know nude but just various things um and warren ellis brought in a lot of powerful female creators into comic books there is no getting around that but he also used his influence to get sexual relationships with many of these women some of them were just, you know, internet sexting, others were whatever but he brought himself off as a mentor to a lot of women and abused that. that let's be honest he abused that mm -hmm. to gain a kind of sexual side to it and if you're gonna mentor someone don't fuck them yeah like just you know unless I, that's I, part of the mentorship i know porn <laughs> i know porn really loves the hot for teacher thing but don't do that but don't do that in real life porn should not be your example of how to get through life um i've been thinking a whole lot I was already thinking about this just through things in my own life and people I knew in my own life. And then this really brought it to the forefront of the macro versus the micro. Someone who does a whole lot to bring forth societal change to advance a cause, you know, be it feminism or anti-racism or whatever on the macro and does real good, but misses their own privilege and misses their own ingrained Issues, mm -hmm. And it turns out that once I thought about this, I'm not super surprised that the guy who describes himself as a dirty old man and who likes to write stories about dirty old men who are trying to make a world a better place turned out to be a dirty old man. That doesn't make it okay. Um, and hello, welcome to my therapy session here. Right. I am not done reading Warren Ellis. I can't. He is too much a part of my life. He has been my favorite author since I was 15. Transmetropolitan created one of the single most beautiful 
monologues I have ever read. It brings me to tears every time in an episode, in an issue called The New Scum. It has defined who I want to be in a lot of ways. But as Yoda says in Last Jedi, part of training someone is teaching part of teaching someone is teaching them to be better than you. And uh, I I get to be bet I mean he didn't teach me, but I get to be better than Warren Ellis was. I get to try to do that. And I have seen wildly different reactions to this. Kelly Sue DeConnick, who has done a bunch of writing with Warren Ellis, was literally mentored by Warren Ellis and wasn't perved on by him, put up a 20-minute video that I'm going to watch before our thing, mm -hmm. talking about, like, you know, as someone who did benefit from Warren without all this happening, I need to do my spot to kind of make good. And... It, it is just kind of her, like, freeform piece. I haven't watched it yet. I will. People have defended him. People have, you know, Gail Simone, who is another one of my favorite authors, read him for fucking filth. And she's not wrong. People get to feel different things about this. It would be easier... This sounds weird, so listen through this entire sentence. <laughs> it would be easier if he was a monster. It would be right. easier if he was a rapist, if he was Bill fucking Cosby. Or And Weinstein. even that gets hard. Because... Cosby did a lot of good in some weird Cosby ways. did a lot of good for the black community on the whole. He also did a lot of We're going to get into this a lot that. deeper, yes. but <laughs> welcome to our precursor. Yeah. Uh, the the basics of it is doing something bad doesn't necessarily negate the good that you do, but doing something good doesn't justify the bad that you do. Right. Um, I'm actually going to read a quote from I do not know this woman. Her name is She's a, a music creator named Theramina, Theramin, something like that. Okay. I know she's important, but I don't know her personally. But she had a quote, and she was backing up someone who was talking about who first brought this forward. She said, I met Warren when I was 22 years old. We were very close for many years. I severed all ties with him at least five years ago, with good reason. My former friend is a complicated man. He's lovable. He's capable of immense generosity and kindness. Also, he's a fucking bluebeard. And that's really what happened. He would manipulate these women into sexual relationships of whatever kind. And then the moment he got bored with them or the moment that he got... They started talking to other people in the comics industry. He would cut them off. There's screenshots of posts being like, you know how important you are to me, right? You know how much I miss you. And then just blocked. Like, could not reply. Like, and, and that's how quickly it went. Mm -hmm. And one of those, someone's like, so what? He was a fuckboy? And like, being a fuckboy is bad. Don't be a fuckboy. But I kind of get it when you're 20. Because 20-year-olds are kind of assholes. Yeah. I was. Yeah. Yeah, um, I was. When you it doesn't were, make it right. No, but when you are learning how to deal with people, you make mistakes. You're an asshole. You cause harm. But you learn and get better. Warren Ellis has been doing this since, like, 1995. Learn and get better, Warren. Like, one of your biggest, one of your best speeches in Transmetropolitan was about how the future is inherently a better place because there's always potential for more. That doesn't work when you're not improving. Moving. Yeah. When you're not moving towards that future, then. You know, he put up a big apology. I thought it was okay, but I am just, I am just bleeding to forgive him. Mm -hmm. Because as I said, I, I can't begin to limit, uh, to, to define the influence that Warren Ellis has had on my life as someone who I have never met and will never meet. 
Mm-hmm. And I was like, man, he's saying like the right words, but what matters is what happens next. But it also reeked of fucking privilege. He's like, I didn't ever think of myself as famous and like the joke that I wasn't. But like, obviously, like I was without real and like, get the fuck over yourself, man. You may have been willfully ignorant of your privilege and your influence, but you still went in as a mentor and manipulated and abused these women. You might not have ever hit them or assaulted them, but you did some toxic fucking damage to 25 years worth of women. That's not okay. Mm -hmm. But Uh at the same time, I was reading some of his work and it made me so mad how good it was, how much it made me want to read more of him. You can be brilliant and you can be a piece of shit. And I don't know where the line is. We're going to do an episode and you know where we're going to end up? I will not know where the line is on that because it's intensely personal. Yeah. Which I think it's going to end up being the point of the episode. <laughs> um, and here's where I realized while we're having this conversation where I realized how mad I am at him. I feel betrayed and I don't feel as betrayed as the people who he fucking betrayed. But like, don't have heroes. You know, have people you look up to, but acknowledge that they're human. And I guess I kind of did, but, like... It sucks to have it confirmed in such a way. It's so disappointing. Like, you know, I always knew that Stan Lee was kind of a sexist little piece of shit. But Stan Lee was also born in 1920 or something like that. Doesn't make it okay. You know, I, I knew that Robert E. Howard had some really problematic views on black people, despite how he tried But he was a guy living in the 30s. It's 2020. We're past the point where it's okay. I get that there is ingrained stuff. There is stuff that I said not that long ago that I go, oh, no. (laughs) And I am sure that there is stuff that I am saying now in my life that in five years I'm going to go forward and be like, oh, no. But you work to get better. That's the the thing. You're saying, oh, no, five years later. Yes. What we're seeing is a pattern of... And what matters is didn't do that kind of what matters on some level is what happens next. I'm also really pissed because there was a on a like a a personal level because there was going to be a death metal story about that. He was writing about a Tyrannosaurus Rex Batman and I wanted to see that so bad and it got canceled and it should be canceled. We don't need to be reading new Warren Ellis stuff right now. No, but also (sighs) fuck that sounded good. Oh, and I'm so excited to get into death metal as it starts up in a big way. Oh, yeah. And we've talked about good stuff people have done and bad stuff. And, you know, some people are like cancel Warren Ellis and some people are defending him. And a lot of people and people who are accusing him of stuff are saying it's not so much about Warren Ellis. It is about the culture that not just allows for this, but encourages this. Because it's not just like, oh, they don't get away. You know, they, they get away with it. It's that there is literally nothing to stop them. And to make a better world, we can't let that be a thing anymore. And that's going to hurt. And on the scale of things that hurt right now, it's not a big one, but it's an important one. And I guess that's what I got. That's just. Yeah. Thanks for letting me yell, guys. No, it's not. It's not often we get to cross a therapy session with the news. But, um. This is a podcast about liking things. And sometimes liking things hurts. Yep. All right. So, uh, I am 
we can't not talk about Warren Ellis more in this because if we're going to cover the history of Midnighter, we have to explain a few and why Midnighter is important. We have to explain a few things that Ellis did in the 90s. Okay. I am going to try not to gush too much about him. And I'm going to try not to yell too much at him at this. <laughs> you guys have heard my thing. I, I have feelings, man. Um, we, but... we did not choose to cover Midnighter because of Warren Ellis news. This is the most unfortunate, like... Yeah, we wanted to do a character in June who was some level of queer for... I always feel so weird saying that. I know the term has been kind of re-opted. But you remember but... when we were kids, huh? Yeah, where that Every... was bad. Yeah. Um... And so there's a straight guy saying queer every time I'm like, is that, am I allowed to do that? But we wanted someone in the LGBTQA community. And I thought about Batwoman because she's probably DC's most prominent gay character. There's a couple ones we went with, but we went with Midnighter because one, we're both big Midnighter fans. Well, here's the thing. You asked me Batwoman or Midnighter mostly. Uh huh. That was, that was the two main ones we had narrowed it down to and you sort of left it open like... Or anybody else you can think of. And as soon as you said Midnighter, I was like, I've read like three appearances of Midnighter. I fucking love the character every time I've ran into him. I want the best excuse in the world to read more Midnighter. And he had a series recently that was extremely good. And he appeared in Grayson, which is extremely good. And was but a character I had studied the Wikipedia page of, uh, of a number of times because I had been interested for a while. But was people that we didn't know as well, you know... Batwoman, whether you read her comics or not, she's had a TV show. Yes. Midnighter's never getting a TV show, and I love bringing forth smaller characters. Uh, Midnighter deserves a movie. Yes. Also, this gives me a chance to talk about a character, a creator named Steve Orlando, who wrote the most recent series, um, who is, he is bisexual, he is not gay. I know this because I read an interview with him where he got real mad about this because when he was writing Midnighter, everyone's like, gay writer writing gay hero. And he's like, no, I'm bi. <laughs> Stop bi erasuring me. Like, there's nothing wrong with being gay, but, but that's there's not nothing me. wrong with being yeah. bi either. We'll get to that. I, I mean, not too much there. But to start with, we have to go back to Wildstorm. Wildstorm was a comic company created by Jim Lee, another one of my favorite creators. There's a Batman Jim Lee poster staring at me from here. I like to think he's protecting the room. Yeah. I could not keep him in my bedroom. He stares a lot. We're not going deeper than that. It was creepy. He's protecting uh, us from the other side of the room. Which is all the evil things, yes. Uh, we need to get pictures of our studio sometime. Wildstorm was a, car a company created by Jim Lee. Or not... Yes, company... Uh, as his imprint in Image when they founded it. It was an abbreviation of his two main series, which was Wildcats and Stormwatch. Uh, Wildstorm also brought forth Gem 13. The Wildcats were real big and have appeared in a lot of things. Grifter is maybe the best known of these characters. Uh, they even had a super toned-down cartoon in the mid-90s. Mm -hmm. Wildstorm existed... As everything Jim Lee thought was cool, which was aliens and black ops, and then put into the best art that superheroes could do. They actually eventually got bought by DC Comics, mostly so they could get their art house, because their their coloring setup, their production was just, no one was better. No one's better, well, Wildstorm doesn't exist now, but no one's better now than the people who came up in Wildstorm. Mm-hmm. I want to say it's Alex Sinclair that does all the coloring for 
Jim Lee. It's either Scott Williams or Sinclair. One's the inker, one's the colorist. I do not know off the top of my head. Sinclair is the colorist? Cool. Yes. Okay. Sinclair. Anyways, the important part of this is Warren Ellis took over Stormwatch somewhere around issue, I don't know, 30 or something like that. And completely retooled it to the idea of Stormwatch was they were a UN sanctioned superhero team. And he brought in a lot of new ideas and created one of the most interesting books of the 90s. And in one of them, uh, the, the leader of Stormwatch goes insane, a guy named Henry Bendix, and is killed off. And you start learning about all the secret fucked up shit that Henry Bendix was planning. And one of those things was two characters, Apollo and the Midnighter. They are obvious Batman-Superman analogs. They are brought in as this team of this, like, Black Ops Stormwatch unit that Bendix had created that was based off the Justice League. There was a Martian Manhunter, a Flash, a Green Lantern, a Wonder Woman, and a Black Canary. I mean, all different names, obviously, not Mm -hmm. them, but analogs. All of them are killed off in this first adventure. Apollo and Midnighter go undercover. Um, in these first issues, it is implied that they're gay in a couple, but it's never outright stated. But it's very obvious that these are gay analogs to Batman and Superman. A storyline or two later, Warren Ellis realizes, according to himself, that Stormwatch is only being published because everyone at Wildstorm really loves reading it because it's the best thing they're putting out. But it's not selling for balls. With... Uh, real quick, I, w- I want to tag up on what you said about them obviously being uh, gay analogs to Batman and Superman. Mm-hmm. Just because I have, I think I've almost successfully sold this this character to like four people this week talking about how I was getting ready to do the episode by simply saying the words, big gay Batman. Oh, I go with angry gay Batman um, in both ways it sells. Yeah. Uh, real quick, this is I guess the good place to put it. Midnighter is not entirely Batman because he does have powers. Absolutely. He has been uh, genetically enhanced, cybernetically enhanced. Warren Ellis was all about this. Big body mod, futurism kind of thing. He has, his muscles are stronger, he heals faster, and he has a supercomputer in his brain. Uh, And one thing that he loves to say, he says this like every issue he's in, he's like, I've got a supercomputer in my brain that's planned out this fight a million ways before you've thrown a single shot. Yeah. What, how did I see it explained? Basically, because of the battle computer, if Midnighter can win a fight, he does. Yeah. He will... <laughs> like, he gains up to fight, and the computer goes through the probabilities of the shots that are going to be thrown, and helps him find something that is unexpected or the best way to go. But Ellis found out no one was reading Stormwatch, and he had frustrations with how comics were being made at the time, and the artist at the time was a guy named Brian Hitch. Brian Hitch is one of the biggest name in comic books. Uh, Most famous for doing The Ultimates with Mark Miller, which is a major influence on early MCU stories. Like Marvel Comics Mm -hmm. Universe, Cinematic Universe, that's what I'm looking for. Uh, Ultimates could not exist without the book that Ellis and Hitch put together to to replace Stormwatch because they wanted something that would sell better. They created The Authority. The Authority was big, cinematic, do huge panels, take six issues to tell a single story if you need to. That's fine. So we can get the the bigger scale out. It mm-hmm. feels huge. 
uh, and it had very proactive heroes that were that wanted to get shit done. They brought in a couple of characters from Stormwatch, and then they brought in, you know, Midnighter, Apollo, and a few other ideas of, like, villains from Stormwatch. Let's bring them all together, create this new heroes that are actively trying to change the world. Not save the world, not keep the status quo. They want to change the world. Changing the world is a big Ellis thing. It's part of the reason why I like him. It's part of the reason why I'm so mad at him right now. They, he stayed on for about 15 issues, and during this time, Apollo and Midnighter really quickly became the breakout characters of this. By this point, they're openly gay. Mm-hmm. Which is, again, very important because this is 1999 when it first came out. You don't have many openly gay characters at this point. Batwoman, as we know her, isn't created for another five or six years. Okay. The only uh, North Star had come out as gay. He was an Alpha Flight. He's been an X-Men. But at one point, they literally said he had pixie blood in him. Like, that was... There were mistakes made. (laughs) Let's get that out there. I'm trying to think if by 99, Constantine would have been openly bisexual yet. I think he must have been by that point. But But if he was, I mean, Constantine is in very much his own, like, mature world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not quite the the same comparison. But There'd been a few other characters, but none of them were huge-scale characters. Mm -hmm. These were quickly... I mean, Authority was the best-selling book on the market, and their two leads were openly affectionate masculine men and they're not i mean they're gay but uh, all of the like queer coding that is often used and especially was used in the 90s they don't have yeah they're just the midnighter is almost toxic levels of masculinity but he's also extremely in love with his husband so i was thinking about that exact thing earlier and how the thing that stood out to me about when Midnighter is written well, because we'll go into one of the things I read to get ready for this, by the way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it wasn't the best written thing. But, although I didn't do Midnighter dirty, but anyway, we'll get there. I'll have one about that, but anyways. It wasn't like his actions were straight washed. He was very unabashedly gay throughout almost yeah. the entire book. But he was getting to occupy a role that was that fits toxic ma- masculinity and is almost down to a T like the action hero role. In his early appearances, it, there was super hardcore testosterone to kind of toxic masculinity points. It's been calmed down a little bit as they've decided to show us Softer Edge. Um, in early appearances, you never saw Midnighter's face. He mm-hmm. always has the mask on. Or if you see, the, he, if he doesn't have the mask on, he's, you know, in shadow, blah, 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 blah. I, I liked it better that way, but I'm not sad that they're not, like, devoted to that concept anymore. Yeah. Um, yeah me either. Me after either. two storylines, Ellis leaves, Mark Miller steps onto the book. I don't like Mark Miller. I don't like his writing. I don't like him as a person. I loved Civil War when I was a kid, but I read it a couple years ago and I was like, this is really not very good. Um, I have not read Old Man Logan in years because I'm not willing to risk my love of that book. I reread it pretty often. Old Man Logan holds up. Okay, thank God, because nothing else does. Um, Um, Although 
I haven't read his Old Man Logan in a bit. Lately, I've been... If I've reread any Old Man Logan, it's been the solo series that spawned from it. And I heard that was way good. better than it had any right to yeah, be. Yeah, it's really good. And, and the he, art is... Yeah, because Sor- Andrea Sorrentino was doing art on it for a while, and they're amazing. Yeah. Ooh, some um, of that art is breathtaking. They did a Green Arrow run that I've been wanting to check out just because... She's a great art. They, mm-hmm. I don't actually know. I'm sorry. They are a great artist for Green Arrow. Mm-hmm. For any kind of down and dirty hero. They do a great Midnighter book. Let's just get that out there. I would I would read the shit out of that. Cool. Um, yeah. I don't know if they did, but yeah, they yeah. would. Yeah, yeah, they would. Anyways, I am going to bring up Miller's Authority Run for two reasons. One great, one bad. It's heavily implied Midnighter was raped in that run. This is where Midnighter was done dirty. And I just felt like I should mention it because, eh. Uh, rape is a thing. Yeah. I do not like rape used as a plot point for the most part because it tends to minimize things. Mm-hmm. And let's just use trauma for the sake of storytelling can be really risky. And also because, especially in that time, it was really uncommon for queer characters to get to have sex unless it was an assault. Right. And so that really, like, even when I was then, I was like, I don't feel that's right. And I remember rereading it a few years ago and being like, oh, no. Oh, like, uh, and I'm not even necessarily blaming uh, Mark Miller for that. He has a habit of, he likes to do extreme for extreme sake. He's kind of a Quentin Tarantino of of comics. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. But the other, but the good thing that Miller did, and I, I credit him for this, is he had Apollo and Midnighter get married and adopt a baby in 2001 during his run. That's insane. That's me. That was, yeah. I mean, gay marriage was not legal yet. It would not be for another almost 10 years. That's honestly probably the first time I heard of Midnighter, is I remember like being on the internet in that time period and seeing like people talk about that. And my absolute favorite part of this is when he gets married, mm-hmm. he gets married in the exact Midnighter outfit, but it's all white. Instead of all black, it is just a pure white Midnighter outfit. And I'm like, that's perfect. That's so good. And then again, they adopt a baby, uh, Jenny Quantum or something. I don't know. Not important. Superpowered baby. Mm-hmm. One of the Jennies. And they were allowed to be loving parents. Again, this is not seen in this era of media for the most part. Gay loving parents? Like, oh no, can gays even adopt children? They couldn't a lot back then. I yeah. mean, still can't. Yeah, yeah, things are depending. terrible. Yeah. Uh, think of, you know, what depending was. Depending where you are. Modern family was kind of revolutionary for having two gay characters that adopt a child together, and it's not a big deal that they're gay and adopting a child, just that, mm-hmm. like, let's deal with. Yeah, this was years before that. This is, again, Marvel didn't have a dominant, like, a a major gay character out in the world at this time. DC, in DC's actual universe, didn't have Batwoman for another couple years. Midnighter and Apollo are married with a baby. That was huge. Midnighter kind of goes around... It was around this time that Wildstorm went off the deep end. And I love Wildstorm, so I'm just getting too excited to tell this parts of the story. I swear I'll let you talk someday. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how much... I, I mean, you you know more Midnighter than I do. I read 24 issues to get ready for this. Midnighter had a series by Ennis. Midnighter and Grifter had a series together that I've always kind of wanted to read because they're like the two edgelord characters of Wildstorm. 
uh, Wildstorm started going off the deep end at this point. The Authority literally conquers the world, which is a great story. Yeah. What happens when the super team that is like the we're here to save you whether you like it or not decides to take that step? Because they're tired of the U.S. government trying to kill them. Because that was like every other issue the U.S. government attacks. Mm -hmm. But the problem is, where do you go from there? Yeah, that's a good question. And Wildstorm never figured that out. And then they decide to have the post-apocalypse happened. Okay. And they spent a little while of what happens in the post-apocalypse in a superhero universe and what happens afterwards. But again, where do you go from there? And they just... They kept upping the stakes until they couldn't go any higher. And they folded. They hadn't been selling very well. I hadn't read a Wildstorm book, like, of the Wildstorm universe mm -hmm. in years at that point. And there was a bit where my dream when I was in high school was to work for Wildstorm. Specifically, they were the comics company I wanted to work for. And then when DC in 2012 decided to do the new 52 relaunched their entire universe and merged in a few. They merged in Wildstorm. They relaunched Stormwatch. They had Apollo and Midnighter in weird and bad redesigned costumes. Midnighter had a spike on his chin. Oh. Like, the idea of the costume wasn't bad, but there was just those one or two points that took it too far to Edgelord. Huh. And the chin spike broke me. Hmm. And the big revolu revelation of this is these two would not be married anymore. And at first, people lost their shit, being like, what the fuck? You, like, and I get it. These are, a lot of times when people lose their shit on the internet, I'm like, oh, shut the fuck up. Let them do their thing. But when this is the preeminent queer couple in comic books, it's a big deal when they're separating them. That's risky because there's a whole lot of, like, gays can't be happy, gays can't be in a loving relationship kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So people were rightly worried. Were they going to lose this really good representation? And I'll give DC credit. They're like, that's not happening. But we have, you know, we have always seen them as a married couple. We have always seen them together. Even before they were married, they had been together for years. We want to see them when they're first meeting. And there was some really good stories. They put out a DC romance special of like different couples across the DC universe. And they had, I believe, their first date in that. Oh, okay. So, you know, it, romance comics are a thing that people like to joke about, but it was like Clark Kent and Wonder Woman, because that was a thing at the time, or like whatever characters that were romantic pairings. And having a prominently gear, gear apparently, gay couple in that, I thought was really good. They DC tried really hard to give real representation to these characters. Mm -hmm. But Stormwatch got canceled because it was only an okay book. Yeah. I liked that, but it was only an okay <laughs> book. New 52 suffered from a lot of things, and Stormwatch definitely suffered from that, of, of editors. Uh, I'll talk up editors a lot, but sometimes editors can put their noses in too deep, and you pay for it with the quality of the book. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you have to let your creators just do their thing. And Stormwatch <coughs> had creators leave the book because they were like, I can't fucking deal with you editors doing this to me. Like, that sucks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Midnighter kind of disappeared for a while until he appeared in Grayson. Before we go further, what have you read of Midnighter? Alright, so, like I said, I read 24 issues to get ready. I meant to read more, but I didn't, I ended up just not giving myself enough time today to do shit. 18 of those are the uh, Orlando stuff. Oh god, it's so good. 
the Midnighter solo, and then the Midnighter and Apollo follow-up. Okay. The other six, I want to see if you can guess, because as soon as I say it, you're going to say that that's completely on brand for me anyway. Uh, give me a hint. Just super wild stormy. Okay. It could be... God, there's a few possibilities here. I mean, Wildstorm, you have to remember, is the series that when they decided to kill off Stormwatch... Not Wildstormy. Wildstormy in 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 the bigger sense. Total Wildstormy. But just for this yeah. real quick. They decided to kill off Stormwatch so they could launch Authority. So they had an Aliens-Wildcats crossover. Like, Aliens, like, the Aliens, Ripley, mm-hmm. yada, yada, yada. And they killed off the Stormwatch cast off-panel to have them go silent, and the Wildcats have to go up and see what happened. <laughs> I refused to own... I own the rest of Ellis's uh, Stormwatch run. I refused to own that one, because they do Stormwatch so dirty. That's funny. They brought him back to life, because all these characters were way too good. Yeah. But, okay. It's going to be something horror-related, I'm assuming. <laughs> you know what? I don't know. Tell me. You look embarrassed. Well, only because <laughs> it's not good. But oh. you brought it up because you ha- you actually haven't read it yet. Uh, Grifter Midnighter. Oh, the, yeah, yeah, fucking that is uh. <laughs> totally on brand for me, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm figuring out how to make Grifter's mask out of leather soon, so it's super easy. I know how to do it. I just need to do some shaping. Yeah, uh, uh, you know who wrote that, right? Chuck Dixon. Oh boy. Oh god. Uh, Chuck Dixon. When he's on point, breaks the Batman's back and is creating Bane and does one of the best Nightwing runs of all time that defines the character. And when he's wrong, he's really bad. And... (laughs) Is he more wrong on this one than... Oh, let's see. Um, Although a big point in the story is that, like, Midnighter is the better fighter of the two, Grifter hardly ever gets touched by any of the enemies. The enemies that beat the shit out of Midnighter and then are then referenced continually throughout the story uh, are revealed to be uh, alien space sperm. Of course they are. Um, Dixon? I'm not sure, but I'm pretty sure Dixon's a homophobe. Uh, uh, the grifter part of the story carries some pretty Islamophobic connotations. Dixon's pretty conservative. Conservative doesn't automatically mean you're bad, just to get that out of the way. But, I mean, he does interviews with Milo, Milo Yiannopoulos. Oh, yeah, that asshole. He does, uh, he likes to complain about everything that we say matters, representation matters. Dixon's like, oh, you know, SGWs are forcing stuff into comics. He really hates Miss Marvel. Which, fuck you, Miss Marvel's amazing. Yeah. Um, it had some really entertaining moments to it, that's for sure. Um, and, some of the grifter stuff was really good. And that's the thing. Dixon's not a bad writer. He just... But overall, it was kind of not you, great. When it, you let him get edgy, it starts to show his opinions start to show through and I think his opinions are pretty gross yeah it's okay he thinks I'm a dirty SJW if he ever figured out I existed like he would hate me um Um, so that's how that goes it's not the worst I don't think Dixon's alt-right I think he's kind of flirted with the alt-right a little bit oh and there's uh, a shapeshifter character in it who is basically just a naked female throughout the entire thing. That was like 2005 when that series came out. That's a little too late to be 
100% okay with that. And I say that as someone who bought a book of pinups yesterday. I am all for let's celebrate the female form, and I'm all for sexy ladies in poses. Like, pinups aren't always as, you know, like, classy as I want them to be. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's okay, too. Trash is... Trash isn't automatically bad, but there is being a little trashy, and then there's being... When all the trashy sort of starts to come together to the point where you're noticing it like that. Yeah. Um, like I said, there's some decent grifter stuff in there. I mean, there's some decent action on both sides. Like, grifter, get, I mean, Midnighter gets some cool fights and shit. Your and... fave is problematic. He's not my fave, but the unfortunate grayness of the world is sometimes you can like something and sometimes have it be really problematic. We're not talking about Midnighter much this episode. We're uh, getting there. Jesus. But that's the other thing I read of Midnighter. So I'm mostly familiar, other than with his Wikipedia page, I am mostly familiar with uh, New Midnighter and then Chuck Dixon's Midnighter. <laughs> you know, you're Where, getting the whole range of emotions there. Yeah. In a few years, I think it would have been like 2015, 2016, DC decides to launch DCU, which was a uh, launch of... They, they changed all the major heroes. Gordon became Batman for a little while. Superman lost all his powers and was publicly outed as Superman and as Clark Kent. Um, I don't remember what happened with Wonder Woman. David Finch was writing and it wasn't very good. That's okay. <laughs> it's pretty. And then they launched a bunch of lesser-known characters into books. And Midnighter got a book. And it was the top point of the DCU run. And there were some really good books in that era. As someone who loves side characters and, like, C-listers, man, there were some great comics that should not have been cancelled as quickly as there were in that run. Um, and what's interesting, and it's interesting to say this, especially as we were talking earlier about how people were so concerned about the splitting of Apollo and Midnighter, mm -hmm. that we got Midnighter without Apollo. Midnighter is single. And again, people were very worried and bothered by this at first, and Steve Orlando's like, look, I'm gay. Or I'm bisexual. I'm, bi. I'm yeah. queer. Sorry, Steve. Who... Like, I, I, I get how important these two are. I will not for a second understate that. And Apollo is not in that book for the most part, but he's everywhere in that book at the same time. You feel the shadow of his absence the whole time. But let's have a character and have him learn how to be single and gay for the first time. Because that's an experience. You know, when the whole world is coded to be straight, it's one thing to learn how to be single for the first time anyways. It's another to learn how to do it while being what's not shown as the norm in, like, all of society. Mm -hmm. You know, the first time that he's on there, there's a DC equivalent of grinder yeah. date that he's on. And he's wearing his fucking... Fuck, what was it called? I just fucking read it. What was the fucking called? I don't remember. I don't have the book. I almost brought the book. I should have. Um, but like in the in his grinder profile, he's wearing the Midnighter outfit and he's talking about how his favorite thing is to like. Oh, he's straight up like a hundred percent accurate, and it's the like, <laughs> the date is just like, oh wait, so this is this is all true. He's like, I, oh yeah, I, yeah. I went on this out of curiosity because <laughs> I thought you were fucking with me, but no, you you're real. Okay. <laughs> I'm not sure how to deal with this. And then they have sex and it's not a super detailed sex scene, but like it's a lot more open than I'm used to seeing of a queer sex scene in any kind of comic book. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it's well done. The whole thing, the whole issue is great. 
and you get to see Midnighter. Midnighter is always superhuman, altered human. You never get to see the human side of Midnighter really before this series. And, and ultimately, that's what the series the series is big time about. That mm-hmm. is like he is learning to find who he. He's very comfortable with the fact that he is uh, a weapon. Yeah, that he's a tool. And that he's Midnighter. But he's not comfortable with the fact that he's also human. And being human in his case means he's also a very, very sexual being. Yep. Who happens to be gay. And again, it was great because we don't get to see that. He had appeared previously in Grayson, where he openly flirted with Grayson. And the best part is Grayson, who has always been shown as straight, Mm -hmm. openly flirted back. Those two hit on each other constantly <laughs> because Midnighter's like, I'm going to make fun of you. Be really hot. And Dick Grayson's like, I know. Right. Like, <laughs> like, God damn, look at this ass. <laughs> you are not wrong, sir. And it was so fun because it's so often gay characters again are treated as like, they'll get a straight friend and the guy's like, Oh, but I'm not straight. Okay. Like, no, <laughs> and Dick Grayson didn't have that. Dick Grayson's masculinity wasn't challenged by a guy thinking he was hot. If anything, it was enhanced by being like, you're right. I am hot. <laughs> oh my God. I'm just, yeah. Fuck. It was a good series. I like, I don't know if we've explicitly stated this yet, but we did kind of decide to focus mostly on, that was the thing that we both read. The Steve Orlando sure. series is what brought me to being a fan of Midnighter. Because before I was like, I like the idea, but the character is so like forced edgy that I don't super feel it. Mm-hmm. And reading this, I just, I didn't get to reread the whole thing before we recorded this. I read most of the first volume. Okay. But I have read that series like six times. I almost any time someone's like, I want a comic book series. Where do I start? There's a good chance I will start them on Midnighter. Be like, try Big Angry Batman or Big Gay Bat Angry Batman. Because he's, it's so good, but it is also not like, I don't start people on Saga because there's nowhere to go up from there. Mm-hmm. Saga is the best comic book on the market or was when it was still going. I don't know if it's ever coming back, whatever. But Midnighter is high quality. It is an A list comic book but there's other books of the same quality that i could lend it to it is one of my ideal learn about comics especially if someone who is queer is asking me about comics which is happening more and more because for years comic books was the straight white male game we're looking at you comic book guy on simpsons we're looking at you comic book guy on simpsons and i am having more and more women asking me about comics i'm having more and more gay people asking me about comics and i'm having more people of color asking me for comic book recommendations and they're all like i kind of i would love a real like i'd love a gay superhero midnighter yeah. <laughs> 100% oh such an ass kicker i i like that you have to be inventive with midnighter mhm because he is almost overpowered He's almost overpowered, and it'd be really easy just to make him a knockoff Batman. I mean, we call him gay, angry Batman, big gay Batman, whatever it is. And he makes fun of the Bat. Almost everyone else kind of scared of Batman, and he's like, yeah, Batman. Well, even (laughs) in that Orlando run, a couple of his enemies are just like, you're just Bat knockoff. We're not worried about you. Like, we've went against the real thing and come out of it. Like, Mm -hmm. what the, why, why are we scared of you? And Orlando, or not Orlando, Orlando will write Midnighter just snapping arms, breaking limbs, 
ultra violence and weird violence. He fights a demon gun. Like, the, there's a gun that when you shoot someone with it, transforms them into demons. I will say, as I was going through and finally getting to read a lot more Midnighter, as much as people bring up the, the Batman analog, uh, the weirdness that his stories tend to go to, from what I've read, reminded me a lot more of Moon Knight. I can see it. It's the Warren Ellis influence. Not to bring it back to... I mean, to bring it back to him. Warren Ellis loved the weird. He loved body modifications and weird cyborgs, and if he could make it a sex thing, too, he was super into that. God, there were so many signs! <laughs> um, yeah, and, you know, a demon gun would have been exactly up his alley. So people took that weird Warren Ellis, the edge of comic books influence and brought it into Midnighter in a way that it doesn't work with Batman. You mm -hmm. put Batman up against a demon gun, and unless it's Grant Morrison writing it, it's not going to work. And even then, flip a coin to see how it lands. With Midnighter, done. Sold. Maybe Scott Snyder. Again, same thing. Like, maybe in Metal, but not in this main Batman book. Not in the main Batman book? No, it wouldn't fit. Midnighter can go real realistic, real grim, gritty Greg Rucka writing Gotham City Police Department. Or he could go a Grant Morrison or a Scott Snyder Midnighter book. They're not my first choices, but they would make an amazing, weird, interesting book. I actually, uh, when I ended up reading the uh, the Grifter Midnighter, I was actually reading it to stop myself from reading the Ennis Midnighter, because I've read enough Ennis. I don't like Ennis. <laughs> oh my god. I like Ennis, and that's why I didn't want to see exactly what he does with the character. Because you know where it's going to go, mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, Ennis writes the boys, people... For anyone who knows that, that's probably where you're best going to know Garth Ennis. I've read, Batman. I've read almost all of his Punisher. Oh right, he wrote Welcome Back Frank, which is the greatest Punisher comic ever written. Mm -hmm. He read, in my he wrote really low bar as far as I'm concerned, <laughs> but like yeah, and he defined the Punisher for the next till yeah. now mm -hmm. because he's like maybe we shouldn't treat the Punisher like a hero. Yeah, people miss the point, but. It, That's a whole nother episode. Hey, Midnighter. <laughs> it was very fun to see Midnighter learn how to be human because Midnighter doesn't know his past. He doesn't know his name. He calls himself Lucas Trent, but he admits that he made that up because he had a crush on Apollo and didn't want to scare him by like, I'm a human weapon that doesn't know who I am. <laughs> God, no, it was, it was a super, I, it was a super interesting story. Ultimately, I, it did feel just a, a little bit more straight ahead action-y rather than any like super elevatory bits. Yes. This was let's make a fun action comic book. Intertwined with some romance. Yeah. Not every book has to have the deep depth and meaning of fast color, what we watched last week. Right. Like, um, and if I want fun action weird adventure, great. Midnighter is one of my go-tos. Also, I fucking squealed when I started the uh, the, the, the follow-up to Midnighter Apollo, and the fucking Subway Pirates were back. Right. Let's, let's do this. Let's do every weird... Half-beard? Yes. <laughs> I forgot that they were in that. I haven't gotten to Apollo, Midnighter Apollo, as I said. Maybe tonight. What? Yes. As I said, all about demon it. Demon guns, Subway Pirates, all the weird stuff goes to hell. 
And one thing I love about Midnight goes to hell for Apollo, especially in this modern series when they let him be a little less grimdark. Although it shows through in the one Midnighter is free of angst, which I think is why he can get away with a lot of the darkness that they'd go with him because Midnighter knows what he is and he loves what he does. He's he's having fun, but not in a like psychopathic way. Nope. He's having fun in the fact that he's getting to do what he does best. Uh, and they showed a lot that he was helping people in this. He saves a girl that's been abducted. And at the end, he's like, you'll be okay. Here's places where I can relate, but you'll get through it because luckily you have people here to help you that I didn't have. Mm -hmm. It's very Batman taking in Dick Grayson of like, I'm going to help you not be me. And it's also very clear that it's still not, it's still a very stilted human interaction. Uh He doesn't know how to do it. He's very uncomfortable, (laughs) but that actually made him more human. It made him more relatable. Midnighter is not perfect by any means. They also bring in a Batman villain who I really like, and I'm not going to go into detail how they bring in this character, but they bring in a Batman villain named Prometheus who is used in Arrow, but is done dirty in Arrow. Because in Arrow, he's just kind of a psychopath. Mm -hmm. In this one, he was kind of, he first appeared in the Grant Morrison Justice League, and he was kind of a reverse Batman. His parents were criminals that were gunned down by cops. And he also gets a fight computer in his head. He gets a right. thing in his helmet that lets that programs fight the, like the fighting styles of different characters into him. That's what I was getting. Oh, that reminds me. That's what I was getting at earlier because he's almost overpowered. So the mm-hmm. Prometheus thing is cool. Afterthought was cool, but we can get into that in a second. Well, and it lets him. The anti-bat characters are great. Mm-hmm. I almost always enjoy them. Hush, Prometheus. The Scourge, uh, fucking the one from Batman R.I.P., the Dr. Simon Hurt is kind of an anti-Bat character. Mm -hmm. Um, But the problem is once you've done Bane, Bane is the ultimate one. But once you do that, where do you go from there? You're not the anti-Bat after the second time Batman has beat you. You're still dangerous, but you're not. The power is never there again. Mm -hmm. But you put them up against someone like Midnighter. Or someone like Nightwing. It's great. Because those aren't... Batman is God Mode. Whether he was intended to be that way or not. Just Batman's reputation has made him God Mode. But you can take these people who are like Batman caliber. And put them against Nightwing and suddenly it feels dangerous. Or put them against, you know, supercomputer Batman versus supercomputer brain Batman. Bam. It's one of the best action scenes of the series. I mentioned a, a, a bit earlier... Midnighter, when they're the writing around him is really good. It's fun because you have to be inventive because he's almost overpowered. Mm-hmm. He has a healing factor. It's not like Wolverine's, but it's still a healing factor. But if you snap his neck, he's getting up up from the ground ten seconds later. He has not Spider-Man spider sense, but his predictive stuff lets him dodge shots you haven't thrown yet. Um, he's not speedster fast. Except for one second. Yeah. He's... Because he's moving before you have started moving. He's reacting before you've done something. Mm-hmm. So again... Like I said, if, <laughs> if he can win a fight, he does is the way that it's described. So how do you make an actual action fight that has stakes? And the Prometheus was a good thing. Afterthought, I thought, was a hilarious way of doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't... Do you actually know much of it? Like... 
I don't really know anything about Afterthought. Yeah, uh, this was the first time I ever ran into the character, but I what I know is how his power worked. His brain was basically quantum entangled with a chrono-shifted version of his same brain that's five minutes in the future. God, I don't think that was created by Warren Ellis, but that's such a Warren Ellis concept. That's how Warren Ellis just seeped into the comic book world. So when fighting Midnighter, God, I loved this because it made me almost think this is the super geeky, nerdy overlap. Mm -hmm. The way I ended up thinking of their fight was the same way I think of the way that magic cards interact in Magic the Gathering. You have 10,000 different cards, plus, mm. by this point. You have a set of rules, but things on the cards overwrite the rules, and so wording is important. So you have to take the order in which things happen. So, fucking Afterthought would make a move, and then that Midnighter could react to because of his battle computer. As soon as he reacts, though... Afterthought knows what the reaction is going to be because his other brain is five minutes in the future. Does he knows that I know. Does he know that I know. He knows that I know. Yeah, uh, it's the ultimate loop. It's the same reason Prometheus. You know, you have a program that, like, mm -hmm. in your brain that predicts fights, but I have a program in my head that mimics your fighting style plus Batman's. Yeah. Oh God! The first time Batman beat one of the first times Batman beats Prometheus, he hijacks. The like he hacks into the computer brain thing and uh, gives him the body mechanics of Professor Stephen Hawking mm. and hits him. And he's like, I've never knocked out a guy with cerebral palsy before. I don't know how I feel about that. I'm like, Bruce, <laughs> Bruce. <laughs> <laughs> the other scale of what to go if you're not doing, you know, supercomputer brain or I can predict your actions is you have to put a character or a villain that is too strong for him to just be able to punch out. Right. Like, it's, it was really fun. The series has him fight Multiplex, the guy who can just create clones of himself. It was great. It made a character that he could kill endlessly and make a really good action fight scene because he's fighting 100 fucking Multiplexes. Mm -hmm. But Multiplex was never going to beat him. Like, he finds out he's going to fight Multiplex and he goes, apparently I do have a birthday. <laughs> um, <laughs> But, you know, the demon Lord Neron or uh, the Suicide Squad, just because you can pull in so many people uh, and Waller is so dangerous of who she can activate. I will say uh, running into Waller bugged me just because it was a new 52 Waller. Yes, yeah, skinny Waller pisses me off. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of skinny Waller. Not a big fan of skinny Waller. Waller is a large, capable black woman. And she's been turned into just, like, pure evil. But in the original Suicide Squad, she was real interesting as, like, a mother as well. Mm -hmm. She was a very rounded character. I didn't agree with her on anything, but it came from a real, like, desire to help, to do something with the world. While sometimes she's just kind of, especially Skinny Waller, was almost directly just a villain. Mm -hmm. Not super important to, important to this. But it did give us, like, Deadshot versus Midnighter, which was, was another awesome. fun let's have these high caliber characters fight each other that were created to kind of be anti-Batmans and aren't super threatening against Batman anymore, but are, are real fucking good. I would love to see a Deathstroke versus Midnighter. Uh, I'm going to put, look, Midnighter just runs into Batman in a back alley without time for Batman to plan. That's going to be a good fight. 
Midnighter probably has the edge on that one. Yeah. I think Midnighter would win in round one, and then for whatever reason, round two would come up, and Batman would pull it off. And I don't know how. Don't know. Don't care. <laughs> Doesn't matter. Midnighter way outclasses Deadshot. Yeah. As I said, Deathstroke would be a real good one that would be to good go one. against. Um, I love him against Nightwing because they're both such capable fighters in different ways that you end up with a really good... Because Dick Grayson's a parkour fighter. Mm-hmm. And Midnighter is a scrapper. Midnighter is in the back alley with a broken beer bottle in one hand and a pool cue in the other, just grinning through broken teeth. And then, like, ten seconds later, they're not broken very much. Well, yes. Okay, so he's got... <laughs> the, it lets him have that, but, like... It's scrapper fights. Did we mention the backup heart? He has a backup heart. He has a backup. Yeah, he's like a fucking Klingon man. Like he's. <laughs> I will. It was interesting. So you give him characters too big for him to punch out. You give him ones with a battle computer. Mm-hmm. You also just make it so that that's not the point. Ninety-five percent of the fights in the Orlando run are like hour-long fights that you get in six panels. Yeah. These huge knockdown brawls, but the point of it isn't the fight itself. The point of it is everything else he's working. He's trying to save this person. He's trying to track down this thing. A mastermind is way harder for Midnighter to deal with. You know, you put him through Batman Hush. Really, I'm just imagining Midnighter versus the Riddler would be hilarious because he would be so angry. <laughs> like, he's he's smart. He'd be able to figure it out, but he's utterly unequipped. Yeah. To deal with someone like the Riddler. And he'd be pissed that he put him through that shit. And when the time came, he would just... Oh, Riddler would be so dead. It'd be so satisfying. And I'm not a big violence guy, but it would be... Riddler's such a piece of shit. I love him. He's one of my favorite Batman villains. But, like, when Riddler gets knocked the fuck out, you're like, yeah, you fucking earned that, bud. (laughs) Just as a weird side note, Riddler's been pretty good in Harley Quinn this season. I believe it. Their setup for him was right. I haven't seen season two yet, but I believe it. Okay. Last thing I have on Midnighter, if you have anything else, obviously. I'm trying to think. I might have something, but... His costume cannot be understated. So good. It's real simple. At first, you kind of write it off because it's knockoff Batman. Instead of a cape, he has a trench coat, but he's one of the few heroes that I feel like and then pulls off the trench coat. And then it's almost gimp suity. There's an edge of gimp suit, and I think that's what went wrong with the new 52 costume. They lost the trench coat, and it was a little too spiky gimp suity. Mm-hmm. Like, Valdo from Soul Calibur can pull off a, uh, like, chin spike and would look great with it. Midnighter, it was a little weird. Um, I love that pull so bad. <laughs> look, man, I play one fighting game pretty much, and it's Soul Cal 2 on the GameCube because it's yes. the one I have. Uh, so good. If the Switch had a modern Soul Calibur, I'd buy it in a heartbeat, but we'd do with what we have. Plus, Link makes dungeons easy. Yeah. His Especially ring if you get the Great is... Fairy Sword, too, which heals him. Anyways. Um, and then the rest is kind of a armored version of the Batman costume with, like, an eye symbol instead of the bat symbol. And Batman would replicate it a few years later, where these days the Batman outfit is usually some kind of armored. Some level yeah. of, like, an armored up. And uh, a very traditional Batman mask with slightly different details and without the ears, which I love. I think the basic cowl without the ears is a really strong choice as long as you still give it 
something to be memorable. So um, he's got some like detailing up of the forehead of some like I don't know. It, it it's just stripes really, but mm-hmm. it doesn't look like that. Other people put goggles on it. Whatever you do, it's a strong basis. I don't know if I have necessarily anything. I just Midnighter deserves a movie. At this point, honestly, as I've as I've read Midnighter and probably will continue to read at least a little bit more, uh, of course. There's we not will. much, so it's not hard. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> I also have homework for podcasts, though. That gets in the way sometimes. Yeah, I feel you there, bud. But I would kind of rather see a Midnighter movie than I would like to see Wolverine on screen again. Or another Batman movie, or like any of the big ones. I was almost going to say another Batman movie, but this Pattinson Batman does have me really, really okay. curious. Okay, other than the Pattinson Batman movie, just because we're so curious about it. Um, I was trying to think who I would pick for Midnighter. And Ooh, I th- that's a good question. I don't know. I'm blanking his name. You know, Guy Ritchie. Lock, stock, and two smoking barrels. Oh, that'd be a great director for Midnight. That'd be a perfect director Because for you Midnight. have real down-to-earth, he's real good at that, like predict he doesn't Sherlock Holmes of the like predictive of he'll do this and then I'll do this and mm-hmm. he'll do this just crib that directly uh ooh if I do I'm gonna throw out a quick criticism of their Orlando run please um the art was a little uneven sometimes that was the thing the art in the first three issues maybe four issues was really hard to follow some of the fight scenes past there it got better a lot go- smoother who was the main artist for that series, Aiko. One, I think he just got better as the series went on. Uh, but he is a little loose in his style. And when your style is loose, it's kind of easy to get lost in what's happening on the detailed action scenes. And there was someone else other than Aiko. And I don't know who it was, which is okay, because I'm not going to be insanely nice to them. <laughs> who was not super strong. He wasn't bad. Mm-hmm. But he wasn't... I wasn't won over by it. And particularly when the character is created by Brian Hitch, who is an insanely detail-oriented artist, it's a little disconcerting when you go to real... Willy-nilly. ...loose <laughs> art. Yeah, it just... I felt it got better as it went on, but early on it was hard to figure out what they were trying to convey with some of those fights. I'm gonna do fucking Alice again. The artist I would pick for a Midnighter series if I could do anybody is the guy that worked with Ellis on Moon Knight. Um, oh, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, Shalvi. Yep, Decline Shalvi, who also does trees with Ellis and has done a few other things. Shelby's a great artist. And he has a very good sense of, one, the street level that Midnighter rolls in while still being able to do weird and crazy. And he has an excellent sense of timing when it comes to fight scenes, which is so important with Midnighter. As for, like, if I were to cast a Midnighter, though, I'm still trying to think on that. I don't I, have an actor. I mean, if he'd be cool with doing, like, gay sex scenes, I'm give me a Manu Bennett Midnighter. <laughs> I could see Manu doing it. He wouldn't be my choice. Um, I want someone a little more... Manu is very buff. He's a little stiff. I want someone a little more fluid. Let me think. Uh, I do know that I would want kind of, like garage band and punk soundtrack to it. Mm-hmm. James Gunn would probably be my choice if I couldn't have Guy Ritchie. Ritchie. You don't want someone clean for it. You want someone... A younger Ewan McGregor, I thought, I think could have done it. A younger... God, what's his name? We were just talking about him for Flashpoint Batman. Um, oh, Jeffrey Dean Morgan? Jeffrey Dean Morgan could have done it like yeah. 15 years ago. 
Like when he did Comedian? Yeah. Maybe even a little younger than that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I always want him to put him younger. I want him to put him closer to Nightwing age than I do Batman age. I don't... Yeah. Maybe it's just because he's a newer character. I can see that. Yeah, I don't know. I'm having a hard time pulling anybody that I can really think filling in the role really well. Yeah. Maybe I just got to get in better touch with young Hollywood. <laughs> yeah, <I don't. laughs> Fuck, man. I only watch superhero movies uh, and Star Wars. Like, there's only so many options. Oscar Isaac, again, like 10 years ago, could have been kind of fun. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, yeah, I'm blanking. I'll come up with something at some point. All I know is I'd, I'd love to see Midnighter on film. It'd be great. Uh, Guy Ritchie, I think, is the perfect pull. I think Guy Ritchie Midnighter would be. Well, and he's got that, you know, he's so good at the crime genre, and you can just pop him right into the crime genre so easily. Mm-hmm. Fuck. That's not going to happen. No, that it's never going to happen. off now. Uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know. I don't have too much to add other than people should read Midnighter. Yeah. Especially if you already like some of these other characters that he always gets. If you like Batman, if you like Nightwing, if you like... If you like the violent side of Batman. Mm-hmm. If you like Punisher. If you like Punisher. I don't uh, like Punisher and I still like him. He's I a just, better Punisher. Yeah, he's a much more interesting Because it's not just, I have guns and a grudge. It's, let's see what I do this. Because he's almost Jackie Chan level on anything can be a weapon. Mm-hmm. And if you already listened to us talk about uh, the Grayson series and you liked that because we told you to read it, then read this too. Yeah, because that's <laughs> where he came from. And then they were like, oh, man, this is really... I don't know if it was, like, a backdoor pilot or they were just like, holy shit, people liked this. Let's mm-hmm. let's make a series out of it. But it was worth it. Well, and when Dick shows up in the Orlando run, it's pretty great. Too. As I said, it's super great to put them together because they flirt constantly. And they both are characters that have so much fun with the world that they live in, even when it gets dark and weird. Midnighter forces Dick to do the entire mission handcuffed to him. Just because he thought it'd be funny. Yeah. He's like, wait, why is this? I don't know. I don't know. Because <laughs> see. And Dick's annoyed, but it's not like, I think I'm going to die. He's just like, come on, man. <laughs> really? <laughs> um, that's kind of what you're getting. You have a dude, you have that. a dude that that's it. handcuffing himself to Dick Grayson just for a laugh. And then like six issues later is getting in a fight with Subway Pirates. Like, Refers I'm, to team ups as date night. Like I'm he's fucking down so hard and also like like the Prometheus fake out and shit and all that like like I thought him and Mark were really cute and that actually really got me yeah (laughs) well and you know we didn't talk about Apollo much here but really Apollo is another great character and when the two of them work together you get all of the like greatness of Batman Superman together but in a way I don't I don't really subscribe to the Batman and Superman are gay theory. Like, no. I don't feel like a romance between them is necessary because I do think it's important to have non-toxic masculinity friendships. Mm-hmm. The bromance is a healthy thing. It's not always like, let's pretend gay people don't exist. Sometimes it's just, let's let people, men express their emotions. But it's also really great to have these two characters that you get that same kind of like click but are a happy married couple. That's great. You don't get enough happy married superheroes in the first place because it's so easy to do, let's insert drama by having marital strife. That fucking sucks to read after a while. And even them being broken up at the beginning of the series feels super real. All the reasons he gives feel super down to earth. 
I had to I had to find out what it was like to be me because he was my first everything. And that's a real thing. You know, learning how to be single before you can learn how to be in a relationship is important. And I sucked at being single. Mm-hmm. But I had to learn how to be at least a little okay with myself single to get to the point where I could be in the healthy relationship I'm in now. Yeah, and getting married in Jedi robes. Hey, I'm wearing the pants for it right now because they're super comfy. Uh, <laughs> the nice thing about not wearing a tux to your wedding is you can continue to wear the clothes later. That's right. So it was very relatable, even if it, you know, he left Apollo and it, it spoiler alert, the final series is called Midnighter and Apollo. It's not really a permanent separation. No. But helping him figure out who he was beyond just I'm Midnighter and I'm Apollo's boyfriend made him a better Midnighter and inevitably makes him a better partner to Apollo. And it, that feels really apparent by the end of it, yep. too. It's very and by the end of it, it's still kind of... Well, by the end of it, they're moving back in together because there's a little bit of a time jump. But This isn't the deepest series, but it's a very genuine series. All the emotions you feel, you feel. It doesn't feel forced. Like, you know, sometimes when Batman's having a romance, you're like, are you really? Are you really? Like, no. I feel it in this one. Mm -hmm. Every date that he has, the awkward, like, man, it was great, but I came on too strong, and now we're just trying to be friends, and that's kind of weird. I've done that. I've been there, Midnighter. I feel you, bro. But then it worked out, because that's great, too. Yeah. Like... Uh, the reporter who seemed to be kind of into him for, like, an issue, but then he bounces off for, like, a month, and so the reporter naturally ends up with somebody else. And... Like, no, dude, I'm not fucking waiting. <laughs> we went on one date. Yeah. Um... It is, even for someone who is not gay, although I'm sure this is amazing for someone who is gay and figuring out how to be in a relationship, but just like, if I was lending comics to an 18-year-old or lending media to an 18-year-old, gay, straight, bi, whatever, and they, you know, wanted to kind of give them a, like, here's some tips without it being, like, weird and misogynistic like most dating tips are, mm -hmm. this would be a good one. This is a great one. I, I would stand for this. Yeah. Um, and also a, he kicks someone's teeth in. Like, it's great. There's the whole scale of... Yeah. It's a, it's a little bit more realistic look at the way that uh, a, even a healthy relationship can unfold. Um, set against the backdrop of a lot of ultraviolence. Healthy relationships require maintenance, and these two had to split so they could learn how to even do that maintenance. Mm -hmm. Oh, bam. There we are. There we go. Midnighter's great. Fucking love it. No. Go read it. Fucking... I, I wish this this wouldn't have lined up the way it did so that we could have I'm focused so maybe, mad. Maybe a little bit more at Midnighter, but oh. we tried. Uh, another version of Midnighter appeared in The Stormwatch. Mm. They were obviously prepping for a bunch of stuff, and no one was sure if it was going to continue anyways because of other behind-the-scenes issues. And now it turns out Warren Ellis is a fucking asshole. Um, so it's almost certainly dead, and it's too bad because The Stormwatch is legitimately the best thing the DC has put out in years. I think I've recommended it on here before. And the only reason I'm not recommending it today is because I am so fucking mad at Warren. Uh, here's the thing. We've brought this up a couple times. Midnighter is rather ultraviolent. Uh-huh. Do you know what's famously ultraviolent? What's that? Our topic next week. <laughs> and you know, he would be a great downloadable character for this. Holy shit, he would. Midnighter meets the Mortal Kombat universe? Yes! Uh, there's been, well, 
there's been leaks that they're already working on the next Injustice for the next-gen platforms. Bring in Midnighter! Bring in Midnighter. Uh, next week, we're going to go into Mortal Kombat. I am hopefully, when leaving here, driving over to my friend's house, borrowing his PS2 and either De- Mortal Kombat Deadly Alliance or Mortal Kombat Deception, because those that was my era of Mortal Kombat. So I can drink and play Mortal Kombat tonight. This is how excited I am for this episode. I, I'm excited too. I'm also, I will, I will tell you all right now. I'm nervous. I've set myself up to be the expert for this one, and I'm going to see if I can deliver for you all next week. My entire plan is to play this game just so I can get remember who these characters are, so I can ask you questions, and then I'm gonna watch the terrible movie. I'm going to try to be ready. I'm not going to watch that movie, though. Christopher Lambert plays a thunder god. In what world does that not make it? I'm sorry. We're good. We're good. I'm I'm not going to watch that movie so that I have time to take in the rest of the information that matters. Oh, so you're going to watch the second movie, Annihilation. (laughs) Um, With Johnny Cage getting killed five minutes in. We will make a lot of fun of that next week. I promise you. It's going to be fun. I remember that movie extremely well. I don't need to watch it. (laughs) Uh, Without going too far into the future, as I said... Uh, the week after we are going to do a Your Fave is Problematic episode that's probably going to be that's definitely going to be the heaviest episode we've ever done so we decided before and after we're going to do chill episodes Uh, but just so you know that we're not dodging that I just couldn't do two in a row of me being angry at Warren Ellis like (laughs) oh plus we've been putting off Mortal Kombat for like two weeks now oh this poor thing but Before we get to those, do you have any recommendations for this week? I'm going to be lazy with my recommendation for this week because I watched it for my other podcast this morning and last night, but it fucking holds up so fucking well. Jaws. You're going to need a bigger podcast. You all, it's the start of summer, it's blockbuster season, but we're not back in theaters because of COVID, although it sounds like we'll be able to be back in theaters soon with masks thanks to AMC and Regal changing their policies. (laughs) Um, that said, not just because of Jaws. Don't go in the water right now. I looked at the river over in Missoula. It's, it's fucking flooding. Holy shit, it holds up. Spielberg is Spielberg for a reason. Mm-hmm. I, wow. Well, and that was also Spielberg in the early days when he couldn't afford to show everything. Mm-hmm. So he learned how to make a better movie without it. Like, I think it's one of Spielberg's failings later on. That, and I don't think he does adaptations very well, is... um. Like Lucas, he wants to show you everything. But when he couldn't, he made it a much made more a, intimidating movie. He made a better movie when he couldn't. Um, no, it's fucking... It's great. Uh, Sharks in the Water. Like, Who doesn't know Jaws at this point? I'm just telling you guys, go watch Jaws. Right? Like, I like, don't have to explain what Jaws that's is. That's okay. Just It's a reminder. <laughs> yeah. That's my recommendation. I just watched it last night, this morning, and I still have Spanish ladies stuck in my head. So... <laughs> Uh, I have, like, eight possible recommendations. I'm going to keep it to one, but I'll just, like, name drop the other two because they're related. I am going to go another Audible original. I'm sorry, guys. Uh, called Cut and Run by writers called Ben Acker and Ben Blacker. And beyond the fact that I just adore that there's a writing team named Ben Acker and Ben Blacker. That is pretty amazing. They're great. They do a podcast. They did a podcast slash live show called The Thrilling Adventure Hour, which I think I've talked up before because it's mm-hmm. one of my favorite podcasts. Uh, one of the people from that is a guy named Hal Lublin. He was on one of the things you mentioned from the nerd, uh, the plague nerd, plague nerd stuff. 
He does another show called We Got This with Mark and Al, which is another podcast I love. It's the one I listen to when I want to, like, I wasn't happy with my last episode. I want to, <laughs> like, listen to their flow a little bit. But this was an audio play. Meg Ryan does the narration for it, or, like, is the narrator. There's, like, six different actors. Okay. Um, Ed McGinley Jr.'s in it, who is one of those that I don't know super well, but he's in a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. And it is a romantic comedy about two kidney thieves. Oh, it's not what you would expect. That's a sentence I never thought I would say. Yeah, okay. I've listened to it three times in the last two weeks. Wow. Once because I wanted CC to listen to it, and the other just because it's charming. Mm-hmm. Uh, Acker and Blacker are very good at very quick dialogue, relatable characters. They don't always have the they they never have the deepest storyline, but they are charming. They are funny. They have very human moments in very inhuman situations. Cool. So Cut and Run, it's only like six bucks on Audible. Fucking check it out. If you have Audible. God damn it. You bring a fucking romantic comedy about kidney thieves and I'm falling back on Jaws and I feel lazy. Yeah. You are talking, you're recommending one of the greatest movies of all time, man. I think you're doing fine. I feel lazy. <laughs> oh. Spanish ladies, that's all I have to say. Um, anyway, in order to listen to us talk about Mortal Kombat next week and then talk about how your fave is probably problematic, we're not going to be outing people as problematic. We're going to be trying to figure out how to deal with this shit because we deal with it all the time. If we talk about people who are problematic, it'll be people who have been loudly in the news about this J.K. Rowling. Sorry, I'm good. I'm good. Um, <laughs> in order to listen to us get to all of that, Please hit subscribe however you're listening to us right now. Uh, that would be super cool. Also, if you could rate and review, that would be super cooler because algorithms and running shit and, you know, this exists online. Also, you can always go check out our website, www.generalnerdcast.com. While you're there, you can hit us up through the website or by emailing us, generalnerderypod at gmail.com. Check out all of our back catalog there, or click the links up at the top to go check out the other shows that are on the Earverm Podcast Network that we are a part of. Uh, you can listen to me go talk about horror movies, specifically Jaws this next week, on Fried Squirms. Zach? You can listen to me and my buddy Malark talk about the art of wargaming. Uh, well, talk about wargaming on the art of wargaming. We take historical treatises such as the art of war and translate them into various gaming things. You can also check us out on social media. We are on Facebook. We are on Instagram, sort of. We are on Twitter. Yeah, ish. It's mostly been ish. like liking Michael Harriet and AOC tweets lately. We are but not the best at this, guys, but we're getting there. We're getting there. Getting there. Just search for General Nerdery. We're, we will be what pops up. And in order to keep up to date with anything that pops up on the network... Uh, check out yourverm.com, E-A-R-V-V-Y-R-M.com. That's all I got. You, you have that down. You threw that in like two breaths now. <laughs> uh, in the meantime, we're your generals of nerdery. I'm Zach. I'm Tyler. Dismissed. Dismissed.